0: set our hearts to discover these truths. The assembly of God, not necessarily the title of our particular fellowship or the label or the brand, but the assembly of God. The 39th verse is going to be where we'll culminate in our teaching today, but let's just read it. You won't understand all of it because I'm taking it out of context, but I'm using the last phrase of this verse to establish the context. For the "...the children of Israel and the children of Levi shall bring the offering of the corn of the new wine and the oil unto the chambers." Where are the vessels of the sanctuary? In essence, it's response to establishing the provision of the priesthood and the priests that minister and the porters and the singers. And then that's what the instruction was from Nehemiah. And then this is, this is kind of his expectation. This is their covenant. This is their oath. This is their affirmation. This is the expression of his heart. And we will not forsake the house of our God. We will not forsake the house of our God. Now, that's Old Testament experiences that we're going to transpose here and connect it to an uh, an exhortation in the New Testament. It's familiar. It's in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. They're going to put the 25th verse, but I'm going to back it up one. I'll read it from my Bible. We'll only then read the 25th. It's posted on the screen. In the 24th verse, the writer of Hebrews says this, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. In essence, he said through your interaction, through your coming together, through your fellowship, we're going to provoke, not in a bad way, a negative sense, but unto love and good works. You're going to know that you're loved. You're going to walk out of here and love other people and you're going to have good works. Jesus said let your good works be seen among men that they may glorify your father who is in heaven. Amen. So you're going to be provoked. You're going to be encouraged for good works and then this 25th verse not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. There are some that don't value the effort that you make to be a part of a unified body. Some look at it and do not see the value that you see, and so don't get caught in their ideology. The manner of some is, but exhorting one another, exhorting means to to warn with admonition, to encourage, to come to, to draw you to. Exhort one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day is he talking about? He's talking about the day of Christ. All the more that you see that we're drawing near to the appearance of Jesus Christ, then we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but put great value upon coming together in a unified heart and experience. So let's pray. Let's ask God to add, add His blessing to the assembly of God this morning. It's in the name of Jesus we pray today, Father, and we're asking that you would set our hearts today to receive of the word of God. Let nothing in any way distract us from thy word today, God. Open our heart, open our mind, and open our understanding, God. Let us look at this picture, this prophetical image in the life of Father the Israelites in the book of Nehemiah until it moves our heart, God, to understand our connection to the assembly of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everybody said amen. Today, as we kind of for just a moment, as always, I like to backtrack because I want you to know kind of where I've been so that we'll kind of know where we're going together The book of Nehemiah comes to us during the days following the exile of the children of Israel. The children of Israel in 586, unfortunately, had saw their temple destroyed by the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. The people were caught and brought into captivity to the Babylonian provinces and dispersed. The Babylon was overtaken by the Medes and the Persians. And by the time we arrive at this story, the Persians are in control of that particular area. Nehemiah is actually living in in the palace and he is tasting the wine of the king and that's what he gets up every morning, and he's the, cup, the king's cupbearer to make sure the king is not poisoned. He drinks it first and then hands the cup off to the king. That's his responsibility. But he's a Hebrew. He had never seen Jerusalem with his own eye, but he had heard about it through the teachings of, of his brothers and sisters that had come together during the days of the exile, and he wanted to, he was concerned about the welfare. We've been talking about it for about four weeks now. And so he gained the opportunity to go back and be the governor of the city. King Artaxerxes empowers him with letters in his hands to go back and rebuild the fallen down, broken down walls of the city of Jerusalem. And we have been systematically following his efforts in rebuilding the walls. God's given him the gift of leadership. He rallies people to the cause. People believe of the good hand of God that's upon him. He tells people the thing that God has put into his heart to do. And the people rolled their sleeves up and miraculously in 52 days they rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. They rebuilt it in such a fast pace that even Even the enemy had to say, that's the hand of God. I love it when those moments when the enemy has to look at your life and say, that's not in the natural realm. That's not anything that's happened in the natural realm. That's entirely of the supernatural hand of God. And in this passage of Scripture, the latter two weeks, we've been looking at obstacles that the people, including Nehemiah, had to overcome in order to continue to pursue the will of God. Jojo already mentioned it just a moment ago about learning the will of God, knowing the will of God. That's the place that all of us want to be at. We want to get up every day with the confidence that this is who God's called me to be. This is what God's called me to do. I don't gain my completion of who I am based upon measuring myself up against anyone else. But if this is what God's called me to be and to do, then I'm going to lift my hands every day and say, Thank God. Thank God, Father, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and my soul knows it right well. Today is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be found glad in it. The other people in the world that don't have this confidence get up and they live every day in a rat race, a rat race. But I get up and you and I get up in the peace of God, walking in the perfect will of God for our lives. Now, the enemy challenges this, but we fight through it and we accomplish it and then we learn to live in it. Now, today I want to talk for just a little bit about in the completion of these walls, there's something that Nehemiah immediately began to do. As soon as the walls were secure, the people were more uh, protected. Now the enemy couldn't just come in and, and launch an attack because the walls were built up. They had sentries uh, that would be on the uh, wall that would would take notice, and so they could sound alarms and they could rally and all those things. So the walls had a great importance. But now Nehemiah begins to shift, and he begins to bring the people together for an important moment. That's what I want to begin to discover today. It's first mentioned in the eighth chapter, the first verse it says that the people were gathered together as one man into the street that was before the watergate in the not the Watergate in the 70s but are y'all with me here today okay but the water gate, the gate that was by the fountain, and so a little bit farther it says in the eighteenth verse of the eighth chapter, it was a solemn assembly. The word in the ninth chapter is the, uh, the first verse is they were assembled with fasting and prayer. These were at least two occasions where Nehemiah gathered together the people, not necessarily in the temple as of yet, but this was his purpose. His purpose was to reaffirm to the people the need to come together collectively in worship of Jehovah God and to not forsake the house of God. One of the reasons why the people had suffered judgment at the hands of God is because they had been neg- negligent in how that they handled worship in the temple. And Nehemiah retraces the leadership, begins to retrace the ups and downs of the, of the people of Israel encouraging them to not forsake. I love the words that Nehemiah in the 10th chapter, the 39th verse, in, that, in the affirmation of their faith said, we will not forsake the house of God. So before we go any further and get into Nehemiah's instruction any deeper, let me deal with, for just a few moments, the evolution of congregational worship. What you're doing today, congregational worship, you are a part of the congregation. You are an individual, but collectively we are a whole. We are many members, come on, but one, are y'all with me today? And so let's look at it. I know this to be true. The church is not a building. The church is not made of mortar and stone. I understand that God does not dwell in monuments as mentioned previously. I understand that today. I understand that Paul said that we are the temple of Jehovah God. We are the temple. The Spirit of God abides on the inside of us. I understand that's to, that, to be true. And, and, but some people use that truth as an excuse to avoid congregational worship and in doing so they rob themselves of the privilege of uniting together with men and women of like precious faith and gain the strength that comes from worshiping collectively there are those that teach the concept of what's called house church ideology claiming that that was the original pattern of the New Testament church but I want to share with you just a little bit more about what happens in the and the history of the church coming together to show you that even in the first century though the Bible does say that the church met house to house but that wasn't all that they did. It wasn't that they just went house to house, but they were a part of an established pattern that we read about two weeks ago on Sunday morning when Psalmist David in Psalm 122 said, I was glad come on I was glad when I Saturday drew uh, close and the evening began to go late that I would look towards the moment when I would say I was glad when I could go up into the house of the Lord he had experienced something in the midst of congregational worship that made him say I'm going to count the day and the hour not till the ball game comes on not till I, I, I have a vac- no until I have an opportunity to join with the other tribes of Israel and journey up to the holy place and worship God in spirit and in truth it had marked him and I it to mark you as well. I want you to have every day an excitement. Man, I can't wait till Sunday morning so we can come together. Wonder what the skinny preachers got for us this week. Wonder what songs we're going to sing. I wonder who's going to come to the front. I wonder what it's going to be like being prayed for in the midst of the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to have an excitement about the people of God and coming together in collective worship of our God. Amen? Mom, you don't have to come here every week just downcast like it's obligation. I know sometimes you have to drag your children in here. I know you have to threaten them within, as my mom used to say, an inch of their life. Occasionally, I understand that. But hopefully a moment will occur when something will shift inside of them as well. Corporate worship is the pattern of ancient Israel from the days of the Exodus When God brought Israel out of bondage and brought them through the wilderness experience, he established a tabernacle And in the tabernacle was the holy place and the most holy place. And it was there that God dwelt and abode. And then when David became king, he had it in his heart to build God a house. And God said, I've dwelt in a curtain uh, or a house of curtains. He said, I don't need you to build my house, but your son who will come forth from your loins will build my house. Now we think that that was Solomon, but it was prophetically speaking of Jesus that he would build the true house. But Solomon did build him a house and God promised that his eyes would always be upon the temple and the Jewish men were required to go there three times a year and bring their offerings and praise and celebration. But during the days of the dispersal, as, what we speak, as we're reading about here in Nehemiah, the days of the exile, when the temple had been destroyed, they could not go to the house of God any longer. So uh, a form of worship began to evolve amongst the Jewish people called the synagogue. And the synagogue was a place where the people of Israel gathered and began to worship. It's unique in Hebrew because it's connected. And it means this, it means the assembly. The assembly. If you see it written this way, Beth Knesset, it means house of assembly. So after the exile, during the reformation of both Nehemiah and Ezra, as the temple was reestablished, they practiced both. They went to the temple as they were required by the law of Moses, and if you lived close enough to the proximity of Jerusalem, you would go weekly. But if you lived farther away, then on the Sabbath day, you would go to the synagogue. It was a public place where the people could come together and they could worship God. They would pray, they would hear and read the Torah, they would challenge each other through discussions, and they would and they would unify their hearts together as communities, as the house of Israel, the tribes of Israel. You may remember even in the time of... Jesus. Jesus was a participant in both. In the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke the Bible tells us that when he was about to announce that he was the Messiah messianic minister he would go to Nazareth his hometown and the Bible says as his custom was where did he go? As his custom was read the Gospels over and over again if he was near Jerusalem he went to the temple if he was not near Jerusalem every Sabbath day where did he go? He went to the synagogue, the public place. And when you see this evolution, even upon after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection in the live stream of the early church, as they were the ecclesia now, the called out ones, they still continued to worship God both in the temple and in the synagogue. And by the time that there are some that arrive at the conclusion that the church should not come together in a public place because they say, well, the church uh, in the book of Acts met only in houses, that's simply untrue. They were forced to meet at houses because oftentimes the contention between Jew and Gentile created for them the need to sever and go into houses until they could establish their own places of worship. That's in a brief nutshell the history of the evolution of the church coming together. So let me just tell you today, I want you to be really rest in this fact. Our modern practice of gathering together in, pu- in a public facility, meaning not one's home, is not unbiblical. Rather, it's the extension of the original model. You and I are the church. We are the body of Christ, individually and collectively. But we are exhorted to come together to join ourselves with men and women of like precious faith and to not forsake the assembling of ourselves. We are, in essence, the assembly of God or we are the assembly of God's people. If you and I choose to meet in a small group in someone's home, guess what? We still are. We're the assembly of God. If we were to meet up on the school campus and rent a building uh, up there on the campus, the moment we come together in that place, united in spirit and in truth, uh, it doesn't matter that there was a ball game in there the night before, but the moment that we unite our hearts together in sovereign faith, and what that says is this, we are the assembly of God, and this is the house of God. Not tied to one unique location, but we have chosen together to come together collectively and worship God. And I want you to value your experience. Don't let the devil pull you away from the church. It's not God whispering in your ears, you don't need to go to church. It's not God whispering in your ear. you don't need to give in the offering. It's not God whispering in your ears, you don't need to raise your hands to worship God. It's the adversary, the devil, who wants to hinder you in your worship before God. You say, so Pastor Brown, I want to give you some things out of these passages of Scripture I think is going to help you. Remember, this is a picture image of the plan of God for your life concerning corporate worship. Why do we do what we do? Why do you come in a heated building like this? You know what that means, it's hot in here. But I have to be careful, I get told all the time, Pastor, we go from hot to cold around here. It's hot, and then we turn the air on, and we freeze everybody. So, It's a heated building that God's given us the opportunity to come together and worship together. You say, Pastor, why do we come together? Let's go to the 8th chapter of the book of Nehemiah, and let's look at it just real quickly if we can. I want you to see a few of these things. Nuggets, I'm going to drop in your heart today. I've written down seven things. I'm going to go through them real quickly. You're going to follow them with me, but it's going to reaffirm to you the will of God for your life is to be a part of the assembly of God, that you are in essence the assembly of God and we are connected together, heart and mind, soul and spirit, joint together. We're joined together by the power of the Holy Spirit and we become the body of Christ. Number one is we come together to hear the word of God. It's in Nehemiah the 8th chapter verses 1 through 3. Let me read it to you. It says, and the people gathered themselves together as one man and To the street that was before the water gate they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded second verse and Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation both of men and women and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month third verse and he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday don't anybody call me long winded here today come on now listen, before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. That's what I've been praying for you today. I've been praying God calls us to be attentive to the word of God. And let's go a little bit further. We'll read the seventh and the eighth verse to connect this just real quickly. And so all the names of these leaders here, notice the end of it. So he calls the people to understand the law. So the people stood in their place, eighth verse. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. But I tell you why we come together as the assembly of God. We come together to hear the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Let me say that again until it's written on the tablet of your heart. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Through gifted teaching and preaching, you and I learn to value the Word of God, to understand the Word of God, and in essence, our celebration in worship is stimulated by the revelation of the Word that God has given us. The Word moves us in the ninth chapter, the 3rd verse, both to repent and to confess and to worship. I thank God for the public reading, preaching, and teaching and the exhortation of the Word of God. As far as I'm concerned, there's nothing like it. I know that sometimes you can go too far, but let me tell you, there's something about hearing a man or a woman of God that has a distinct anointing upon their life, taking the precepts and the principles of the Word of God and sharing them with you. God, by His Holy Spirit, takes those precepts and writes them on the tablet of your heart. And they become established truth in your heart and your mind. Paul told young Timothy, a pastor such as myself, he said, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. He said, neglect not the gift that is in you. As a pastor, I pray on a regular basis, God, make my tongue the pen of a ready rider, God, touch my tongue by a coal of fire, so that the words that I say when I speak, I speak as the oracles of God, make the heart of every listener under the sound of my voice, God, a parchment upon which that we can and write down the truths of God. Let the people hear and listen, and let it create faith in their heart and in their life. Let them know you understanding the word, God, because the word of God is like the rain that falleth down out of heaven. It does not return to God void, but it accomplishes what he sends it forth into the earth to accomplish preach the word Paul told Timothy be instant in season and out of season don't just tickle the ears don't just give everybody what they want to hear don't be conformable to the spirit of the age in the ages in the and the world is going one way sometimes I got to stand in the pulpit and preach and say we need to go another way because that's what the word of God says I had someone a few weeks ago that that caught me at a restaurant and she attends a, another church, and, and she was saying this as a compliment, I suppose. I think it's what she intended. What well, she said it was a compliment. She said, you know, some of the young guys today, she said, they just want to teach, and that's a good thing. We believe in teaching. We believe in teaching. I'm a teacher at heart. But she said, "You know what? I, I at times still need somebody to preach. You know what I mean by preaching I'm talking about when somebody has a fervency, a little bit more of a, a of a stirring in the heart they're saying god I, i'm not trying to be i'm not trying to be forceful with the doctrine, but I am trying to share it in such a way that you believe that I believe in it, so that if I believe in it, you might study the scriptures yourself and decide whether or not these things are so. Come on, somebody, preach the word, you come to hear." The word of God. Don't let the devil. I don't care how good the TV preachers are. I don't care how, I know you can sit at home and watch Jensen Franklin. I know you can watch T.D. Jakes. I'm not even going to call out some of the names of some of the other ones that you might watch, but I'm telling you, it's still not like being in the live atmosphere. All y'all hearing what I'm saying? Come on now, being in the live atmosphere where you can say, that's my pastor, that's my preacher, that's my pastoral staff, I'm connected, he's sharing the Word of God, and I'm hearing it and receiving it in Jesus' name. Don't let the devil keep you away from it. (laughs) Everybody needs a pastor that will preach the Word of God to them. Number two, we come together because as we hear the Word, we commit in our heart to follow it. Nehemiah chapter 10, the 29th verse. It was a moment where they, after they read the law and they heard all these things, notice what they said. They entered, and we won't do this today, but they entered into a curse into an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of the man of God. You and I have to arrive at the place where we hear the word of God and we keep it. Come on. Not forced coercion. But in my heart, God, I want to do what you have spoken to me in the word of God. That's our objective. Through preaching, I want you to arrive at the place where, like David, you say, God, the meditations of my heart are upon thy word. The meditations of my heart, God, let me keep the word. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to the word of God. The scripture says that you need to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Come on. Listen, God is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Second Timothy 3, we're going to post this, verses 14 and 17. Listen, Paul told Timothy, he said, continue in the things that you have learned and, the, and, what, and that you've been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them. 15th verse. From a child you've known the holy scriptures. They're able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for your life, for doctrine which means teaching, for reproof and for correction and to instruct you in righteousness that the man or the woman of God may be perfect, mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We create an environment for you so that you can hear the word of God and you can arrive at the place where you're not just a hearer only but you become a doer of the word of god and you commit in your heart to follow the precepts and the principles of your word does that make sense of his word number three through this process it's written the 28th verse we learn to live separately notice this as he pulled them together in their assembly of god look at what he did they separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of god let me take a moment to talk to you about that for just a moment I want to connect with that. This is important. Very important. Israel was a people group that was chosen by God to be separate. They really were. Think of if you are if you study the scriptures, they lived in the midst of idolatry. Right there a little sliver, a little sliver of a landmass was a people group that God said, all the people around you are living this way, but you need to live this way. Okay? Guess what? And nothing changed. Mm-hmm. That's right. The age, the spirit of the age that we live in is just like it was back then. Matter of fact, it may be progressively getting worse, right? And people all the time, they come to that place, you come to that realization, as you mature in faith, you realize, I've been called out of this world. The Bible says that we are, we are in the world, but we are not of the world, And you learn as you study and understand, you see the difference. We are in the world. The world has a system around us. The spirit of the age, the demonic powers control that system. But in the midst of it, God has his kingdom, and God's building his kingdom, and his kingdom is growing. God is maturing the body of Christ, waiting for the day of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I recognize that we can't live like we used to live. We can't do what we used to do. It's a maturing of our faith. Are you all with me today? Peter said this. He said, don't run with them any longer. That doesn't mean that when you're on the job, you never connect to anybody who's an unbeliever. That's the only way we're going to show people faith in Christ but it means that you are always in the role as the influencer rather than being influenced by. Come on, somebody. And if I found myself, see, I believe in inventory. I was an inventory management specialist in the military, which meant I was a supply sergeant. But in essence, I believe in examining myself. And if I'm around people that I think that they have the potential to greater influence my life than rather than me influence them, I'm going to withdraw from that people group. Because I don't want to look like them, talk like them, sound like them, start picking up their cliches. Are you hearing me? I'm going to live a different and a distinct life before God. Are y'all hearing me? Now, I know the culture of the day we live in today, there's a mass movement to, to bridge the church until the church and the world are almost indistinguishable. That's not the will of God. The will of God is that we are separate. We are a special. We are called out. God chose you to be a light in the midst of darkness. Are you hearing me today? And so let me go just a, a little bit further. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, the 17th verse, Paul said that, that we should for henceforth, I love that word, King James English. It's just powerful, doesn't it? Henceforth, walk not as the other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Remember when I preached the series, The Israel of God, I searched through a multitude of translations and I found one that said it even better. He said, stop living like stupid, godless people. Let me remind you today, God wants us to live, move, act, think, talk differently than the world. Come on, not in hypocrisy, not in judging them, But knowing God is conforming us, not to the world, but to his ways, transforming us by the renewing of our mind. We have to determine that by, and that's why we come together. We come together because we sharpen one another, because we live all the week amongst the people of the world. Dear God, God give us a solace. Are y'all hearing me? Where I don't have to hear all that dirty language. Come on. Where I don't have to see all of that and think I can come together in a safe place, glory to God, and be edified for a few short minutes of life. Let's go number four, keep the Sabbath. 31st verse. I know I got to hurry today because if I promise you, I'm almost finished. That means I got a long way to go, but it makes you think that I'm almost there. Keep the Sabbath. In essence, that was critical. They, they, they had to set apart. I, I will go quickly through this one. The principle of the Sabbath is rest, it's worship, it's holy. The culture of early Judaism was to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath uh, day or go to the assembly And and let me just tell you, it's difficult to connect if you don't reorganize your calendar. I know there are times you have to work. I know there are things and special things that you have to go out of the way for. I understand that. But it's a principle that should be written in your heart that we have set aside a select time to come together. We commit to keep this day for worship, for rest, for fellowship, for reflection, and for holiness. Come on. You have to determine to do so. Number five. Look at this. This is a powerful thing that God wants from you. So a couple of things in closing that I just want you to see in the 34th verse. So let's read that one. It's very important. So we cast the lots among the people. Remember, I'm, I want you to see the picture image, the picture image, the assembly of God. What's my role? How's this the will of God? What's my place? We cast lots among the priests, the Levites, and the wo- and the people for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God that it would be on the altar to burn upon the altar of the Lord our God as is written in the law. So think about this for a moment. Israel had received instruction from Moses in the law that the fire that was on the brazen altar should never go out. There should always be burning the, the, the fragrance of sacrifice on the brazen altar. And so he said, everybody's got to commit to bringing wood into the house of God. Now listen, I believe that's a prophetical picture of prayer intercession for the church by the church let me drop this in your heart don't always be the person being prayed for come on say you know what God wants me to go there this week and pray for other people are you hearing me today listen that we pray the, the preacher's cry and Paul wrote this he said brethren pray for us You know, I I believe that while all the other activities were going on in the temple, whether it was a a celebration of a feast or a festival, there was always flame leaping up off of the altar. Listen, I believe we always should have this church, each other, one another in our hearts and minds, praying one for another. I pray that while I'm preaching, here's my prayer for you, I pray that while I'm preaching, I'm up there, I'm I'm preaching, I'm sharing, I hope somebody's back there going "Mm, in your heart you're just praying, my God bless our man of God, bless the word. I pray under your heart and your own spirit, even while the message is going forth. There ought to be some of you staged among us every week when we come together saying, my God, let there be conviction in the air so strong that you can cut it by a knife. God, let there be healing and restoration, uniting their hearts to people just sit there and look at you and they think that you're unengaged, but no, the fire. Come on, you brought wood into the house of God and you're burnt. It's your time. It's your moment. It's your season. It's your intercession. You are a part of the flame of God leaping up off of the altar of your heart in Jesus' name. Amen. We need intercession in the assemblies of God. Closing, and I'll bring Daryl on the platform. Special offerings. You can wait, Daryl. You can come on now, but we'll, we'll wait till the seventh one to start playing. Special offerings for the service of the house of God. The 32nd and the, the 33rd verse. So he said, we made an ordinance for us to charge ourselves yearly with the third part of a shekel for the service of the house of God. And so on and on. Look at this. To make atonement and for all the work of the house of our God. Thirty-fourth, 33rd verse. Now, for ancient Israel, every man committed to pay his part and to do his part. Let me say this. Let's, let's, let's kind of transpose that a little bit because we're going to talk about tithes and offerings to close the service on the seventh one in just a moment. But let's look at this today. Y'all give me the freedom. Don't let me feel the strain of I'm getting too close to the noon hour. Let me have the freedom to, to finish this out strong. Is that okay? Come on, y'all give me the freedom to do so. I don't want to get up here and think, well, i got to hurry up because it's almost 12 and I've been preaching for about 40 minutes now. I understand that. I don't want to wear you away, but I don't want you to miss this either. Does that make sense? Come on. So now listen, I believe in essence when they said we committed that we would do our part by paying our part, listen, I believe that means every person should present themselves a living sacrifice and become a part of the ministry of the church. That means every one of us has a place that you can serve in. Every one of us can do something and connect to something at some level. Do not sit back and let everyone serve you. Come on. Come on, let me say it again. I'll stay with it as long until I get a few more amens. Jesus himself said he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. You are that special offering for the service of the house of God. There are things that you can do. There are ministries that you can be involved in. There are places that you can serve and and people that you can connect with in this church and that you can help this church become what God's called it to be. You can. Matter of fact, it won't happen unless you do. And if every one of us came and said, God, it's not going to just be about me going to church, but I'm going to bring something to participate in the service of the assembly of God. Paul said this, don't let other people be burdened and you be at ease. Don't sit back like this and watch everything going on around us and you think my only job is to just show up and fill the seat up. That's not God's will for your life. You'll never feel the full effect of the life stream of this church until you come and say, I brought something. I brought me. I brought my gifts and my talents and my resources to serve in the house of God. Picture images, right? It's a prophetical picture. Lastly today, number seven. I know it's a lot. The reason why that I chose to give you quite a lot in one day is I, I need to wrap this series up next Sunday and I've got to close out strong in a different angle. Seventh one, though, bring in the tithes and the first fruits offerings. Let's read this today. Let's read this. You know, the moment that, there are to, that the pastor begins to talk about giving tithes and offerings, immediately there's a shutdown in the minds of certain in the church immediately there's a disconnect just like that. Just like, have you ever, you know, every now and then our computer at home, we have, I might be, be, be working on something and we have the cord right there and I bump it with my feet. And when I do, it disconnects, it shuts it down right there, just like that. There are those in church, the moment you start talking about this, it gets unplugged right there. Screen goes blank. Until that time, they're like, mm, yeah, he's white, but he's kind of black too a little bit. You know, that's what you're thinking in there. He's appropriately named, Leotis Brown, you know, right there. I know you're feeling that. I feel it. I feel it too. I can play basketball like a black man. I need a witness from somebody out here. Come on, somebody. Right there. And, and, and inside of me is a little bit of preach in there as well, like there, but then it doesn't matter. Go to this, all, this and all of a sudden, the screen goes blank goes black some people disconnect don't disconnect I'm not saying this to belittle you I'm saying this to help you these are principles that people live and would not I'm telling you I've told you before people go the people that are faithful will with that miss church service they will drive down here just to bring their tithe faithful people will go out of their way to bring their tithe because they see this in the word of God let's read this in closing today let's read this in closing the 34th verse, we cast lots among the priests, the Levites. Excuse me, it's the 35th, 34th verse, because it's right there. To burn. I'm sorry, it was the 35th verse, Phil. Let's go right to the 35th. And to bring, Angie, and to bring the first fruits of our ground, the first fruits of all tree, fruit of the trees, year by year, unto the house of the Lord. 36th verse. Firstborn of our sons is written in the law, and the firstlings of our herds and our flocks to bring to the house of our God, unto the priests that minister in the house of our God. And that we should bring the first fruits of our dough. That's my favorite right there. Never mind, I, I'm way out there in front of y'all, I can see that. For bring the first fruits of our day, dough and our offerings and the fruit of all manner of trees, wine, oil, unto the priests, the chambers of the house of our God, the tithes of our ground unto the Levites, that the same Levites might have the tithes in all the cities of their tillage, I think I added that 38th verse and the 39th. We'll go ahead and read it. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites take the tithes. The Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes into the house of our God, to the chambers, and to the treasure house. And we'll read the 39th verse. The children of Israel, the children of Levi, shall bring the offering of the corn, the new wine, the oil, the chambers, the vessels of the sanctuary, the priests. This is our original text. And I'm right back where we started at. And we're closing on this final point. The priest, the minister, the porters, and the singers. And they said, we will not forsake the house of our God in those days the first fruits went to the priest now listen here's how it worked and this is the in a nutshell closing point there's no more this is the seventh one just let me write this on the tablet the Holy Spirit write this on the tablet of your heart the example of ancient Israel was this the first fruits of everything they received went to the priest the tithe went to the Levite okay which was the 10% the tithe of the tithe then went to the priest from there, from the temple or from the gathering house of the house of God, the gathering place or the assembly of God, the resources were committed to the livelihood of those who served in the temple and then ministered to the benevolent needs of the people. So it was both. They took those resources and the first obligation was it was used for the livelihood of those who served in the house of God, priests and Levites. And secondly, it was used to help the poor of the land. Those are the biblical principles of the, both the tithe and the offering. So, I, as we relate this in the New Testament era, those are divine principles that I believe are related to the assembly of God. Let me say this combine the first fruits and do this make tithing first. Don't wait till the end to give to God because the enemy will make sure you never have. Come on. This will break down and that will break down. But, but faith says I'm starting here, right here, right now, making tithing first. Listen, these are not legal requirements of the law that are no longer valid to the church. They're divine principles that lived. Some people believe they bled through the cross. Come on, somebody. And I do as well. Matter of fact, let me read to you a passage described. Matter of fact, I think we'll, we'll, we'll post that one won't we? in 1 Corinthians 9. This is Paul writing. Paul's looking back at the very things we're talking about. And look what he wrote to the Corinthians. Do you not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel." And so here's a divine principle that went all the way back in the days of Nehemiah, but it's just as alive and just as relevant today. That God intends for His people to honor the assembly of God, the house of God, by bringing in the tithes and offerings and presenting them unto the Lord in faith. It's for the livelihood of His preachers. Listen, I know in the American culture that we live today, we've seen a lot of exploitation of this. We know that we have from great scandals in the church... But that shouldn't cause you to say because others have abused it and misused it to hinder you from recognizing the validity of it and the necessity of it. I, my, one of my most difficult things that I think about is bio-vocational pastors. Those that are working full-time and pastoring full-time. I don't know how they do it. God called us to live of the gospel. And I'll tell you what, I take it personal I take it You know what what I mean by this? I take it personal. When you give, I'm telling you, I wrap up my heart around it in the name of Jesus. I shared in the membership class today, there's only two people every year that sees the giving record of this church. It's not the Deacons. It's not JoJo. It's not Shane. They've never seen it. None of these guys that have been on staff. Two people, me and Sherry. We're the only two people that look at the giving records of your giving record. It's because you're written on the tablet of our heart. We pray for you. I mean that. You're praying for me. I don't ever pray, God, God, curse my church family. God, I hope they live in poverty. I hope they struggle to have enough to buy their kids a new pair of tennis shoes. I hope that when the factory goes out that they have to go out too. I don't pray that. I pray blessing and prosperity upon this church family. And You ought to pray it as well for me and my family. That's the cycle that God put in the house of God. Who are we to forsake these divine principles? My challenge is this to you. And let me tell you this. Here's the reality. Sherry and I tithe. We don't don't put a burden on you that we don't do. We've been tithers for for, for 25 years of our marriage. We've been faithful tithers before God because we believe in the principle. Did you know this church tithes? Did you know we tithe what you give into missions? Amen. We do. We, whatever, at the end of the month, whatever comes into this fellowship, 10% of it rolls into a missions account so that we can help missionaries. Are you all hearing me? Along the way, we believe in the principle. That's not counting benevolence. That's not counting the many times JoJo helps people in our community or our food pantry and the poor among us, those things. We, we, we want to be a church that's involved in that area as well. But you know, the reality is you can come faithfully to the house of God and still neglect the house of God. Oh man, it's real quiet in here. You can come faithfully and still neglect it. You can. This principle alone can be the difference between you feeling as if you are simply attending the church or you are the church. That one principle. Because when you begin to learn to give, I'm telling you, where you're treasure is there will your oh Jesus I felt that right there where your treasure is there will your heart be also so as a pastor periodically I believe I teach on it and exhort on it I never coerce people I don't want you coming forward because you feel like man Pastor Brown is twisting my arm to give I want you to study this out because when you study it out the revelation will happen And you'll come to the front every Sunday. And you'll say, God, I'm bringing my tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in your house, God. Because you're going to open the window of heaven and pour out a blessing upon us all that we cannot contain it. Ezekiel said, when you bring the first fruits of your dough into the house of God, the priest, the preacher will pray and cause blessing to come upon you and your house. Let me tell you, great blessings await. This is a prophetical picture about the assembly of God the assembly, the fellowship, while we come together. Don't let the enemy, do not let the enemy pull you away from the body of Christ. Does that make sense? My final concluding words are right here. Let me read them to you. Discovering, accomplishing, and maintaining the will of God for your life. At the center of God's will is the church. Did you hear that? It's at the center of God's will. You cannot walk in God's will. I do not believe... You can debate me on this later, but I do not believe you can walk in the center of God's will and not be actively connected to a house of God or the assembly of God. Some fellowship. doesn't have to be this fellowship. We want it to be this fellowship, but it doesn't have to be this fellowship. But you cannot be walking in God's divine will for your life and you're not connected into the life stream of the people that he promised to bless. If you're not fully invested into the live stream of a local fellowship, you're not walking in the will of God. Who here today believes they need to connect deeper to the assembly of God? Our heads are bowed and our eyes closed. Nehemiah said, we will not forsake the house of God. Hebrews said, we will not neglect the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. The assembly, the Knesset in Hebrew, the assembly we assemble together and God adds his blessing. God adds his blessing. I want you to be honest with me today. I'm going to pray with you right where you are. I believe this message is to the church. It's to the church. There may be some under the sound of my voice that you've come to church either sporadically or occasionally, and yet you're not fully vested. But today you see the value, the value of it, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is moving on you. I feel him today. I feel him moving Moving in your heart to become connected at a greater depth or to a a greater degree to a body, to the body of Christ. If you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, that's me. I come to church occasionally, but I feel the Lord. There's been a revelation today. I need to be more vested. I need to be more engaged. I need to be more connected. I don't need to be isolated. Pastor Brown, would you pray with me right now today? That's you. So lift your hand up. I'll pray with you right where you're at. I see that hand. Thank you. Anybody else? I'm waiting on you. I feel like there's more. Thank you. I see that hand as well. Anyone else? Thank you. I see that hand back there. I felt like I was waiting on that one. I believe God sent you here, brother, today for just this message. Just this message. This is your moment. This is your moment right now. Anybody else today? This is your moment to connect, to connect, to connect. Because it starts in your heart. starts in your heart. Who here today... Last thing, and we're going to close in prayer by standing in a moment. These seven principles today, these seven principles, if there, was any, if there was any negligence on your part in any area of those seven, and you just want to make that commitment in your heart to say, God, give me the courage. Maybe it's giving. Maybe it's being involved by serving. Maybe it's at the altar. Whatever it is, whatever it is, who here would slip your hand up and say, Pastor, this message was for me? I pray that I'll not get distracted from finding my place in the body of Christ. Thank you. I see that hand. Anybody? I see hands going up all over the building. Thank you. Thank you so much for that hand today. Won't you all stand up and we're going to pray. We're going to pray. Let's take a few minutes.